When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Unsuckable. I'm your host Manuel Fiet and yes, I'm back. Um, back from the United States, back from travel. Um, feels good to be back, be in a normal place, be stationary. Um, and I'm really looking forward to everything that we get to discuss today. Lots of interesting topics during this week. Uh, we've got Champions League, Europa League, Conference League, Conquer of Champions League, um, tons and tons of topics. Um, so let's just dive right into it. And Helping me to chat about it, we have an illustrious circle of people. Full podcast has been a while since we've had that. Um, joined by Filippo Silva, Adrian Sosa, Joshua Deming. Filippo, how's it going? Great, Manuel. Great. It's super hot here in Florida, which I very much enjoy. I'm looking forward to going outside after this podcast, too. And this was a wonderful week for any soccer fans in the world, right? Some great games to talk about. The the Champions League matches, even the Villarreal match that we thought was over. At one point, it looked like Emery was going to pull some magic. Uh, and then we're going to talk about Manchester City and Real Madrid, which yeah. is beautiful. And the biggest event of the week, MLS won the CONCACAF Champions League and the Seattle Sounders will be in the Club World Cup. That is massive here in the United States, but I'll pass it on to the next one here. In convincing fashion, Filippo. Yes, 3-0. Yeah, convincing fashion, uh, just next door in Seattle. Uh, we'll talk about that in great length. Um, also on the show, Adrian Sosa. Adrian, how's it going? It's going well. It's going well. I feel deprived of fried chicken after your trip that you just had. I, you know, That's one of my go-to staples as far as the uh, the Adrian sort of pantheon of foods. But uh, yeah, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And it seems like last week while you weren't here, we threatened people with legal action if they didn't leave us reviews. And thankfully, our threats have worked. And oh, it wonderful. seems as though someone has left a, a review here. We have Joel G who said, best soccer podcast I found. Love the analysis and takes all the hosts have. You never walk alone. P.S. I'm definitely not leaving a five-star review because they will come after me if I don't. So it looks like it worked. It looks like it worked. But uh, that's not what we're trying to encourage here. Adrian, I, I've, it, usually I learned that in life when you threaten someone, it usually works. Yeah, that's the best way to go about life, I've heard. That's what they're starting to mm. teach people in uh, elementary school now. So Absolutely. No, that's short-term gain. So you have to convince someone that that's the right thing to do. Um, yeah. Anyways. Uh, Adrian, I ate enough fried chicken for all of us. Don't worry about that. So we're good. We're good. Um, finally, Josh. Josh, how's it going? All the way in Eastern Canada. I, I was briefly in Toronto. Your airport still sucks. I'll shout out to Pearson. Your airport is terrible. Um, and it was halfly flooded too. What's going on with the weather up north, eh? I mean... I don't think there's anyone who's going to say a good word about Pearson Airport. It is and if a you disaster. do, you're, you're a sick, sick person. Yeah. I actually have been recently flying out of Hamilton. It is a, one of, a very, very small airport. It takes you a blink of an eye and all of a sudden you're waiting for your flight. It is night and day. I've mostly always flew out of Pearson and it's just a disaster. And that's just full stop. Now on top of COVID and whatnot over the years. Yeah, I couldn't imagine, but... I mean, that's you were you were in Toronto, Manuel. You could have came and say hi, sort of. No, if you drove it an hour, quick in and out as it usually quick is. in and out. <laughs> one day, one day, and I'll yes. be doing that tomorrow. Actually, I'm doing a psychotic Toronto and back trip tomorrow, so I will be Why? in this fabled Pearson Airport that I'm Why? very much looking forward to. You live in uh, Montreal; it's a beautiful city. You have a normal functioning airport with people who are friendly. Why would you go to Toronto? <laughs> it's not by choice. It's it's Can't it's be. friends. It's uh, it's an event I have to go to. A shower that okay. I have to go to. So it will shower choice. there. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like uh, I literally paid thousands of dollars to avoid Toronto Airport. Like, well, the funny thing is, is when I fly out of Hamilton, it's cheaper anyway. So I just, yeah, it just they don't have obviously as many options to fly. But if you find where you're going, I, oh, I'd always recommend looking that way. But yeah, but yeah I mean, I like I like the energy this morning. It's it's good, guys. It's good. It's good, and it's a full room. And um, and really, as I said, the topics are fantastic. 
um, quite the opposite of Toronto Pearson Airport. Another shout out. That airport is terrible. It's a disgrace to this country. Anyhow, um, yeah, we got, I mean, these Champions League games, guys. I kind of feel, I, I know the order that we have put this down was to talk about Real Madrid's first. <sighs> Let's talk about that Liverpool Villarreal game first, though, because like I feel like we all have a lot to say about Real Madrid, and I kind of feel like people should be waiting a little bit first. Um, Adrian, you got you man, Una Emery, he's almost getting it done again. Um, only an unruly second half means they got undone. I mean, what a poor performance by Ruli um, to essentially give away what could have been one of the greatest stories in the Champions League over the recent years. Yeah, it was unfortunate. And I did defend him in that first leg when people were coming after Ruli for allowing that deflected cross to go in, which I didn't think was completely his fault. It wasn't the easiest save to make. But yeah, you can't deny that in this match, he did not look good. I mean, that goal from Fabinho should be saved every single time. You could argue that Luis Diaz's goal should have been saved as well. And what was he doing coming way out Manuel Neuer style, but not to Manuel Neuer's level, unfortunately. And it just left an open goal for Sadio Mane. And it's too bad because like you said, it seemed like they were heading in the right direction. That first half was very uncharacteristic of both Villarreal and Liverpool, but Unfortunately, and this is what sets Liverpool aside from, or apart, I should say, from most teams in Europe, most teams in the world, really, is that it's rare that you catch them on a bad day for a full 90 minutes. At some point, just as they did against Inter, just as they did against Benfica, they're going to come back and they're going to score plenty of goals in that time frame. So if you don't kill them off and if you don't you know, have goalkeeping errors like Ruli does, then maybe you have a chance. Maybe you have a chance, but... It's too bad that the sort of fairy tale is over for Unai Emery, but I mean, come on, it was it was always the expected result, right? It was, I I think maybe. Um, Josh, how did you see this? It's, it was it was interesting. That the first half really did make it interesting, didn't it? It it did. But going back to the Ruli, like I thought he looked so unconvincing in in the first leg as well, and I I mean I I get a lot of people were going after him for the deflected one, and that wasn't even. For me, the, the main thing of that first leg, I just thought he he looked like he was hesitating every single time he had the opportunity to go for a ball or he just kind of looked lost and that completely went into the second leg as well. Uh, the, the start from Villarreal was incredible. The way that they were pressing, the way that the game plan was structured, it was it looked perfect. It looked like, again, a, a, way, a way more enhanced Atletico Madrid because they, the way that they looked so structured and the way that they were going at Liverpool made this, I think, a little shocking for Liverpool because we haven't seen them basically perform like that in a long time. And, and all of a sudden, they were 2 nothing up, and we're like, well, we're, we're in for a game. And then when you make it to a Champions League semifinal and you have goalkeeping as atrocious as that, you you just you shoot yourself in your foot. There's nothing you can do. Unai Emery deserves to walk with his head held high because he did everything right. They were never going to keep that intensity for the entire 90, but if they could have maybe carried it on to like the 60, 70th minute and then just kind of maybe bunkered from there... But once you let in that goal, that just completely deflates you. Because if you're going to get through Liverpool when you're when you're Villarreal, when you have the squad that you do, you need to have at least solid goalkeeping, or at least save the, the, some of the shots that you would expect to save. And I just felt like once that Fabinho one went in, it just is like, oh, everything we worked for is just down the drain. Yeah, brutal. The Fabinho one was 100% his. Um, the one Manuel Neuer-style goal... I sort of understand what he's trying to do there, and uh, he has to take that risk. Obviously, it looks bad, um, but the the Fabinho one is the one that opens the floodgates. That's a bad goal to concede, really bad goal to concede. But on the positives for Liverpool, I mean, remember how much fun they made about Una Emery in the UK? English football can be so cruel. And here's a man who... Don't get me started with them, Manuel. But like, here's a man who is like vindicated that he is an, an excellent manager, possibly one of the best in the world. And he was reduced to good evening. Um, I think that says a lot when you look at the body of work that he's had at, at Villarreal over the last two years. And, you know, a good goalkeeper maybe would have gotten them even further. Yeah, and Manuel, to add to the goalkeeper thing, because I agree with everything you all said, but one thing, not but, Adding to what you all said, when was the last time we've seen a team accomplish something 
this great, right? Which would be either win a trophy or make a deep run with less resources than the other clubs without having a good goalkeeper, right? If you look at past World Cups or Champions League, you can get a title with maybe a, a bad left back, maybe a bad center mid, maybe not having a true center forward, maybe having a bad winger. But I haven't really seen a team accomplish much when they don't have a good goalkeeper. It seems like it's pretty much the essential position. And, and you even talked about here in the podcast a few times how Bayern struggles when Neuer's not there. The difference of not having a goalkeeper of that level in the team. And I'm not saying you need a Neuer to win a trophy, but you need a goalkeeper in a high level. And he just wasn't for this round. And that cost Villarreal because it seemed like they were going to go through at one point. Well, it seemed like they were going to actually put up a fight. Now, I do want to apologize to Villarreal because I have the tendency of jinxing teams on Twitter, and I kind of jinx them. Uh, they had a 2-0 lead, and then I tweeted that would be crazy if they won the Champions League, just like Leicester winning the Premier League a few years back. And as soon as I tweeted that, Liverpool went on and scored three goals. And <laughs> so I apologize to Villarreal for that, even though I never thought they were going to go through anyway. But I think I have a little bit of blame there. Uh, Adrian, I, I, I saw your hand go up. I was just going to add to what Filippo was saying because what he was saying about the importance of goalkeepers, I mean, the team that Villarreal was playing against is complete pr proof of that because Liverpool had that great back line, but they didn't have Allison in goal. They bring in Allison and look how that's just completely changed their entire defense. So yeah, it's it's absolutely true. And what Filippo was saying, at the very least, you don't need an Allison or a Neuer or one of these multi-dimensional dimensional sorry keepers that can do everything even with the ball at their feet but you just need someone who can at least stop shots and that's something that unfortunately really really had a tough time with with both Fabinho and arguably with Luis Diaz as well yeah I I, I always think back of when Germany with the worst squad in history in 2002 reached the World Cup final thanks to Oliver Kahn a yes goal, goal, I, a, a great goalkeeper can make a huge difference and, and Manuel, just think about it this way. Not, let's not go that far into time, but let's go 2006. Italy wins with Buffon. Yeah. 2010, Iker Casillas. Well. Yeah. Casillas, then Neuer. Then you go to 2018, Hugo Loris. He does the job. He gets the job yeah. done, right? He's not at the same level as Neuer, Buffon. But he's good. Okay. He's solid. He's very he's good, exactly. Yeah. He's, it has to be a goalkeeper. You can't win something nowadays if you have a bad goalkeeper. That's just the fact of the matter. It will bite you eventually. I yes. think and on crucial moments in crucial moments. moments and of course Khan did let in that one um he was injured in the final wasn't he he had a broken hand yeah he yeah yeah played. so maybe that's the main reason and then he he failed I think it was in the second goal that Ronaldo scored in the yeah, final where he slipped it because he played with a broken hand um yeah. we'll never know of course what would have happened because there was a great backup goalkeeper actually available um at the time with Jens Lehmann um but yeah still I mean a good goalkeeper makes all the difference, I think. And um, it's too bad. We'll never find out what would have happened if Villarreal actually had a decent keeper. Um, the other semi-final, guys, uh, just put a smile on my face. And it mostly put a smile on my face because the head coach who seems to be responsible for this, a North Vancouver resident, Carlo Ancelotti, um, Without smiles, even maybe just raising an eyebrow, just wipes away Manchester City. I mean, Filippo, that's brilliant. It's, it just seems to happen over and over again with Pep, doesn't it? This one, I do want to say this. Pep Guardiola lost this game the moment he put Fernandinho and Jack Grealish into this match. I don't think Jack Grealish actually had a bad performance once he came in, but he did miss two goals that one of them you have to bury of those two in crucial moments. And, I mean, Fernandinho just kind of looks like, no offense to the league, obviously, but he kind of looks like an MLS player playing on the Champions League semifinals. And you, we saw that in both games, right? The first match, Vinicius just blows by him to get Real Madrid a goal. And, again, Fernandinho misses an opportunity. So, again, it was Pep Guardiola. He had complete control of the match, took off Kevin De Bruyne super early. I'm not really sure why. Clearly, there wasn't an injury issue. And uh, fitness, I, I think it was fitness. I think the main issue I have with Pep Guardiola is not really questioning him as a manager. I think he is one of the greatest managers of all time. I, I, I hate when people call him a fraud. I just don't like that. 
But I think the problem with Pep Guardiola is the way he plays and his lack of tactical flexibility. I think that's the best way to put it, right? He has one style of play, the positional play, tiki-taka, that he likes to do, possession-based, false nine or center for whatever it is. And he only sticks to that. And when you're playing on a league, a long tournament, which you can make some mistakes and you don't have to adapt every game, it seems to be working fine. And it has worked fine for him, along with spending a lot of money. But in knockout rounds, when you when push comes to shove and you need to be decisive, you need to know when to smell blood and kill off a game, you need to switch your approach, Pepe doesn't seem to have that. And we've seen that also in the quarterfinals against Atletico Madrid. It seemed like Simeone, he smelled blood and he knew when to come after Pep Guardiola. But Guardiola never knew how to react to it. He only has one way to play, which is a wonderful way to play and very enjoyable. But for knockout rounds, it doesn't work. And the only reason he won that Champions League with Barcelona, if we want to go all back, because that Barcelona team is maybe the greatest club team of all time or definitely a top three of all time. So, uh, again, not questioning how good Pep Guardiola is, but when it comes to knockout rounds, the way he goes about it is definitely not ideal. And then overthinking and then never really does, never, it doesn't seem like he makes the right decisions at the right time when it comes to knockout rounds. He's better as a league manager. And something that's interesting is that I don't know what it is exactly, but he has this strange habit of when he does lose in the knockout rounds, his teams end up collapsing in a matter of minutes. And I think it was, I think it was, yes, it was Miguel Delaney that tweeted out how this has worked. And let's go back to his time at Bayern, for example, his, his Bayern teams conceded three goals in 17 minutes in 2017 with city, two goals in eight minutes in 2018, three goals in 19, 2019, two goals in three minutes. And then in 2022, three goals in six minutes, though there was a lot of at a time is more like three goals in 11 minutes. So there's this strange sort of cluster that happens, this cluster of conceding goals every time his team is getting eliminated. And it absolutely for City's case, at least it has to be a mental thing similar to that of PSG. They've collapsed before. They haven't won the trophy before. They don't know. They don't have proof that they can actually overcome these sort of setbacks. And then they start to lose the mental side. And anyone who's played football, you can really feel the game get escaping your grip as you start to concede goals. You can see the doubt creep into your your teammates' faces and that, like, is this really going to happen again? Are we really going to concede again and end up messing up and collapsing once again? And it just seems to be this bad habit that his teams start to get into. But Adrian, I want to add to what you said, and that comes down also to not having a plan B, right? The team, Manchester City, well, at least Pep Guardiola's teams, it seems like they don't know how to react when things are going south. When it's not going their way, they don't know how to react because I don't think there's a plan B, right? There's different plans for different teams, different setups. And I've seen this with Brazil a few times, right? We saw two, three collapses of Brazil in the past three World Cups, which were very similar to what happens to Pep Guardiola's team. 2010, when Brazil lost to the Netherlands, they collapsed in like five minutes. The game was over. Germany in 2014, the game started and it was over. Belgium, Brazil Brazil conceded two goals early on in the span of 10 minutes, and it seemed like it was over. And Pep Guardiola's team seems like when things don't go their way, there's no plan B, and the players become clueless. And, and then, like you said, the, the, the mentality is not there anymore, and players are just not believing they can go through, and it just looks horrible. You know what? I actually think it's over-coaching, Filippo. I think that they... The problem is that there's not a plan B. The problem is that there's a plan B, C, D, E, F, G. You can go down the entire alphabet. And then you have him running around on the side of the pitch trying to convey all these messages. And I think his players get confused. It's an overload of information. But do you think, do you, it doesn't look like they, if there is that much coaching, <laughs> read, it seems like he's um, not giving them. I suggest directly. reading the book um, that was written on his first year of, by, at Bayern Munich. Because Which it does one? show quite a bit on um, over. Uh, he's a tinkerer. He tinkers too much. He overthinks it. Um, and I think that that book on his on his first year at Bayern is quite telling in that regard. Because when he arrived at Bayern Munich, they just had won the treble. They were probably the best club side in the world. I mean, Josh, I want to bring you in here as well. Um, and everyone expected them to do a Real Madrid and win back-to-back titles. And 
he couldn't do it. He couldn't deliver. I mean, this run of not winning the Champions League, everyone points at Manchester City, but it really goes back to his time at Bayern Munich, where he had the same issues. And I think I, I, it was a really fascinating study to watch the two head coaches on the sideline. You had Pep Guardiola running around like a headless chicken, talking to every single player, and you had Carlo Ancelotti just standing there and getting his, letting his trusting in his players to get the job done. I don't know if anyone else noticed it, but like, Josh, I feel like there's a style of coaching here that maybe just doesn't work in these games. It's super funny that you ju- you just mentioned that, and I, I was just I was just over on Twitter, and a meme popped up, and it it said, "Let's throw back to Carlo Ancelotti winning or with Everton scoring a ninety plus minute goal to win to win the match," and it shows him sta- everyone else is freaking out, and it shows him blowing on his coffee, and then he takes a slow sip. So I, I was like, "Yeah, no, I that's just his style." And I mean, I was curious to see a little bit more on your guys' opinion on on well, because I heard a different a couple different reasons as to why this collapse happened and Guardiola is the obvious one because you're right like he he his job is to win the Champions League when he went to Bayern that's what Bayern wants to do because they dominate the league their goal is to win the Champions League he failed to do that going to City I mean winning the Premier League is always a big accomplishment it, it's tight I mean it's still tight this season it would still be an incredible accomplishment if they can get over the line but let's be honest City want the Champions League that is why they brought Guardiola in and he is really got knocked out in some ties and legs that he really shouldn't have and this one I mean does it go down to Guardiola and that's what what you guys were talking about him over coaching and being very overcritical and maybe confusing some of his players or does it just come down to something there's something special and is it the players the fact that we can't take this away from Real Madrid and it's a fact that yes they're aging their midfield isn't what it used to be in terms of speed but they're still the same players that had the most success since I've been alive and they just find a way to get it done. And I feel like the younger players like Rodrigo kind of comes in and, and he when he walks around, he goes through Madrid and he sees all the success and the players that were there before him and feels like a part of this team. And then to bring him off the bench the way that they have the last few matches and to see him score and basically just low-key becoming this super sub-hero for this team. I just don't know if if the players like... The personalities of Modric and, and Kroos, they just convince these young players, these players coming in, like, you were on a special club. We are going to do special things. We may not play the best throughout this match, but wait for our opportunities, and we're going to show what experience is, is really made of. And that's what they did. And I don't know if these City players can really deal with that, because over the years, whether it's Pep, whether it's the players, they simply fall short. Yeah, I think you pointing out something very important here, Josh. Um there's this concept in North American sports that you should tank a season, right, to get a high draft pick. Uh, you see it in hockey quite a bit where teams will tank late to get a draft pick. I always disdain that method because I'm a firm believer that success breeds success. You know, you have, learning to win can only be achieved by winning. And uh, Real Madrid are a great example of that. No one has won the Champions League more often. Um, as you said, when you walk into that club, you you understand what winning means. And um, I think it's a cultural thing that you have to learn. You have to learn to win a trophy. And Manchester City bought that success. And there's, there's a great example. We're going to talk about that probably in a bit with RB Leipzig once again failing at the semifinal of a European Cup competition as well. And you could maybe point at that as in a similar fashion. And um, I think success is something that gets bred through success. It's the only way. You can't manufacture it. It's something that you have to ingrain in your culture. And I, I see you, Filippo, you want to say something too. You're probably going to agree with it right away. But like, it is something that you know can't be learned. It's something that you have to make a habit of. No, that's a hundred percent spot on, and we we meant this is something where you said you sounded like a lot of the Brazilian friends I have in Brazil. That's something they've always said. And when Real Madrid beat Manchester City, I was talking to some friends, texting, and they used this term there, which is maybe Adrian will understand it in Portuguese. It says a camisa pesa, which means just that the weight of the jersey. It's just when when it comes to that moment, the weight of Real Madrid's jersey just got them through against Manchester City, which is what they even call a smaller club. And we see that a lot in Brazil, right? When it goes on Flamengo against a lesser club, Flamengo finds a way to pull through. And and sometimes they're playing worse, and it happens. And that's what we kind of saw. Real Madrid is built for these moments. Manchester City is not yet, right? Maybe never. Who knows? Never, never. 
maybe never. never. PSG. PSG is another great example, right? Just not built for these moments. Doesn't matter who they sign. But yeah, I agree with that. And that's something that people talk about so much in Brazil. And they they even talk about that in World Cups, right? When Mm -hmm. certain teams like Brazil, Germany, uh, Italy, these teams, you don't want to play them in the World Cup. Even if they're struggling, you just don't want to play them because they find a way. It's, it's, It's just something people notice. If you watch soccer long enough, You've probably noticed this. Yeah, it's it is it, it's really I find it really fascinating, and I, I, it's an interesting point how the Premier League is essentially just reduced to League R now because like Manchester City, and I think they will win it again. Uh, it was a little bit of an illusion of a title race in England because Liverpool closed the gap, but we look at the last four fixtures that City have, and their style works so well. But it will mean nothing to them, just like the league or title means nothing to PSG. It's exactly the same thing than in any of the other European leagues now. And that's, that's kind of sad, but Adrian, I mean, I saw you wanted to say something as well, but any final thoughts on this? Just that Carlo Ancelotti is such a peculiar manager because he's really hard. Well, it's, it's not even that hard to get a handle on what he is as a manager, because it's incredibly clear at this point that he's a guy who acts sort of as a shepherd to great teams that have proven winners in them already, as he did at AC Milan, as he did at Chelsea to win the Premier League, as he did at Real Madrid when he was there on both stints. Not exactly the same sort of thing happened at Bayern, but at least you can see that with this Real Madrid side once again. I mean, we have enough proof that when Benzema isn't in there, they look like a very average squad. Look to their form at the beginning of February. It was brutal. But recently... Josh wants to say something as well, and I'm pretty sure it's about Benzema. Hang on one sec, one sec. Let me just get this out here about what Tony Kroos said about Ancelotti because he said that the coach himself had doubts about who he would bring in now and who not. Then we exchanged opinions and that's just the way he is. If he has doubts, he talks to us. That's why we get along so well with the team. And that is the exact same thing that Zinedine Zidane was doing at Real Madrid. He would take the senior players' opinions as, you know, he would take them to heart and he would input or, sorry, utilize what they said. And that ultimately led to great success. So there is this sort of strange kind of phenomenon at teams like Real Madrid where they have all these proven winners and these experienced elite players where they can almost run themselves in a sense and they just need someone above them in order to say yes or no to their ideas. And I'm just going to jump in very, very quickly because I agree with everything Adrian said and I just wanted to put in a a quick, I think it was an article or something I I listened to at the beginning of the season, but I mean, this is just to go off of Adrian's point and when this was supposed to be a transition year for Madrid, they weren't expecting to go to a Champions League finals or to win La Liga, and they they were waiting for Mbappe, and and they still have the old the old guards there, and I mean Modric at thirty six, and the article I read basically said like they didn't know who to, to who to who to bring in, they didn't they didn't know what to do, and they looked at what what worked for them, and it was a a, a figure like Zidane, and from what I understand about Carlo Ancelotti is that he's an incredible man manager. And basically, he was in an Everton situation, and they're like, hey, here's a lifeline. Do you want to come manage at the highest level once again? Carlos said, absolutely, get me out of Everton. And uh, they basically said, by the way, you're going to have Bale. You're going to have Jovic. You're not going to have a ton of players we're going to bring in. This is a transition year. Keep the players happy and do what you can do. And Carlos was like, fine. That's what, you want me to play Bale? I'll play Bale. I'll, I'll do whatever it, it takes. Just it just, And I just thought it was such an interesting article that he was supposed to be a stopgap and didn't have a crazy bar that was set for him and just to manage the players. And, and it just shows what what you can do. And that's why I, I also just wanted to touch on that point of with PSG. And I think they could use a manager like Zidane, just for example. like Just having someone there to just manage these egos, get everyone buying in. But... Yeah, it's just an incredible job. And this run by Madrid in, in the Champions League has been one of the most incredible runs I've seen for a very long time. Yeah, astonishing. Um, have a huge amount of love for Karim Benzema at the moment. He's a force of nature. And uh, Carlo Ancelotti, it's interesting that his style didn't work at Bayern. Um, says a lot of interesting things about Bayern Munich, I guess, as well. Um, yeah. It's it's in, it's a super fascinating thing, and like guys, like before we you know move on to the Europa League and Conference League, who's gonna win the final? I was about to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> or what do we think, Filippo? Uh, I'm gonna. So the main reason I said Real Madrid is gonna go through is because they were they are a team capable of scoring with less opportunities being needed, right? And and that's exactly what happened. Manchester City created more. They missed more. Real Madrid had a couple. They banged it in and they're through. 
Now, Liverpool is a team that also doesn't need that many opportunities. They can create a lot, but they have guys that in one play can decide the match, right? Uh, Mane and Salah are great, great examples. And then now Luis Diaz, too. Um, one of the greatest January transfers of all time, probably. Uh, even though I don't agree with the British media when they said that Luis Diaz is better than Neymar. He's definitely not better than Neymar. But I'm going to go with Real Madrid again. Um, I'm gonna, I said Real Madrid is going to win the Champions League a couple weeks back. I think it was in the quarterfinals against Chelsea. And yeah, you did. I'm just going to keep it that way. I'm going to say Real Madrid is going to win it. Uh, I'm not overly confident. This is really a, a great final. It can go either way. And I would say Liverpool are probably the better team right now. I think that's fair to say too. And and we talked about Ancelotti, but Klopp is a better manager than Ancelotti right now, in my opinion too. But I'm going to go for Real Madrid just to stick to what I said a couple weeks back. Klopp is the best. He's the probably. best manager in the world. Probably. That Liverpool team, as great as they are, the, um, the fact that they're challenging for the Champions League and the fact that they're... Uh, within one point of Manchester City, that's that's Klopp. He's amazing. He's the best coach in the world, hands down. No one comes close. I'm sorry, Pep Guardiola fans who went into my mentions before the semi-final, but you're wrong. It's Klopp. Um, but Adrian, is he going to win the final? I mean, for me, this is a coin flip simply based on because I agree with Filippo in that I think that the squad overall might be better, but even that's arguable. I mean, I know that Klopp is the better manager than Ancelotti, in my opinion, at least. Um, It's just so difficult to bet against Real Madrid because I've done it so many times and time and time again, they keep on going through. But I just do think that this Liverpool side is the best team in the world right now and they can suffer. And like I said, they can play poorly for you know half of a match but then they just blitz in the second half they're very similar teams in that kind of sense where they can both sit and suffer but then score goals in a flurry like that so maybe it's going to be nil nil until the 80th minute and then end up being 5-4 in the final or something like I don't know I really don't know but if I had to choose between the two right now I would go with Liverpool I think uh, I, here's something very controversial I actually think that Manchester City are the best club team in the world. They just don't have the culture. But um, we, we went over this. The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more. And boom, you can have a shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place a same-game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Josh Klopp, your man. Yeah, Is he going it, to get his revenge over, you know, what happened when Loris Karius was still on goal? I was going to say, throw back to our earlier conversation, Allison, over Karius. This is going to be uh, a completely different story. But, I mean, in all honesty, like if, if I was a, like a real neutral, I, I would want Madrid just because I just I think their run this this year has been incredible. Like I, I It really has. It's been the most dramatic. I couldn't imagine being like a diehard Madrid fan and watching these kind of matches because I just feel like you'd been all over the place. But I do think that Liverpool is a better team. I think they match up a little bit better against Madrid than City did. I think that Klopp will... I just think he'll take the game a little bit better and maybe not overthink it. And I just think overall they're they're a better team and they want revenge from that very interesting final where uh, I think they'd feel a little hard done by. But I think it's gonna be close, and I'm I think I'm probably going for Liverpool as as a bit of a neutral. But I just my my, my man cop, I got to do it. Yeah, I'm back and forth about it. I don't know. Manuel, don't stay know. with me. Everyone's picking Liverpool. Hey, you gotta go Real. But history points to Liverpool. Like that's it, it's funny because Filippo, you know, at that point the story here would be revenge, right? For, yes, perhaps. I mean, uh, you know, you're gonna ask me every time you're gonna ask me. I'm gonna give you a, a different opinion. I, I have, I, I think this is a truly fifty-fifty match. It's so hard to call, um, and I'm gonna go with Liverpool. 
Sorry, Filippo. I think what ah. separates Liverpool from City, just started barge in there, is that I think that Liverpool would see Real Madrid's weaknesses in defense and they would actually be able to exploit it and they would bury those chances that the likes of Grealish, etc. wouldn't. That's sort of just the slight thing that's swaying me in Liverpool's direction right now. But like you said, Manuel, if you ask me in two hours from now, I could probably yeah. think of a reason why Real Madrid will win. Well, you're you're talking about the this. killer instinct, right? That we yeah. talked about. They, that Liverpool can go there in one play and kill off the game, while Manchester City seems like they're reluctant to kill off games. But so does Real Madrid, right? Which makes this such an intriguing affair. Yeah, it it, it it's a fifty fifty. You know, honestly, uh, it's a coin flip, and that's what we wanted. We wanted a match like that, and um, I wanted to point this out because this tweet has gone viral. Um, all I tweeted was the, the the six different finalists and the three different European competition and the fact that they're from six different countries. And it seemed to really resonate with people that they want European competitions to be finals from diff- teams from different countries. I mean, there was, we could have had an all English final in this. We could have had an all German final in the Europa League. We didn't get it. Um, and I think that's for the better. A European competition should be that. It should be a European competition. We want to see the best of Spain again go against one of the two best in England. That's what we watch these games for. We don't watch them so they could be just another domestic competition. And a Europa League, to make that transition, Josh, RB Leipzig, do a Manchester City. It's the best way to describe it, isn't it? They completely go flatline against a team that has... That was... <laughs> okay, here's a joke. Rangers fans, please be brave. But your team is just as old as Leipzig because you were refounded. It's a joke. Please take it, take it with a grain of salt. But um, Leipzig maybe lacked the culture of winning, and Rangers have it. And then you have Frankfurt, and I feel like we need to spend a ton of time on that because those fans, man, it's insane. Gonna say, how do you not? I mean, I, I was, I saw, I saw that meet or that that tweet. Um, I don't. It wasn't you, was it, Manuel, who said the the 2012 Rangers? It was uh, was it Mur- Murphy? No, yeah, it's Ron and Murphy, and yeah. he's getting absolutely yeah. bullied for it. Disgraceful, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. That's disgrace. It's a joke, like honestly. But like, it's Twitter. There's an element. Well, and it's also Rangers fans. Um, it's unfortunately there's a huge element of them that are just not nice. No, there. I, he was showing. He was like tweeting. Yeah, I was. I remember now because he was tweeting yeah. some of the DMs he was getting. And yeah, I mean, it, it was obviously a joke. Like, relax. But I mean, there's there's so many fans. I mean, you're gonna get some of the bad ones, especially on Twitter. But talking about the spectacle of, of this final between Rangers and Frankfurt, because their fans were electric. I I watched the last five or so minutes on. I replayed them both on on the zone just because I wanted to see the the atmosphere. I was going to to YouTube and trying to find some like some vlogs and whatnot and. And seeing the final, seeing the celebrations, I mean, I got chills watching the Frankfurt fans just pile onto the pitch. Uh, the the Kevin Trapp, his, his emotions were just, I don't know, like I, my entire body, I'm like, man, this is this is insane. This is special. And the Rangers fans were pretty pretty damn good too, but they're, I think they're both deserved winners. I think there's going to be one heck of a final. It's a yeah. shame that they're playing in a 40, or yeah, 43,000 stadium. They could have packed probably 100. 20 plus thousand so that's a that's a bit annoying in my opinion i i, I just think that's a little bit too small i don't know if you have an opinion move it on to that, barcelona literally you want to fill that stadium there you go <laughs> you get close to 100 but they could do it so easily they could do it and i just feel like 43 is just not enough it's 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 a little disgraceful for my taste but um but regardless i think it's gonna be one heck of a final i'm really really excited for it i i think we've mentioned this a few times man like i'm a big fan of the europa league and i and i'm even a bit of a fan of the conference league because you get to see what it means and we'll touch on that later but i mean Reno cried. I mean, like these these European competitions are matter. You can say I went to a European final, and uh, and then yeah, going back to Leipzig. I mean, kind of talking like we were with City and PSG is maybe they just don't have the players, they don't have the mentality, they don't have the culture, whatever it may be. They crumbled. This they had they had the opportunity to go to a final, a final that they were probably favorites to win. I'd argue. I think we probably all agreed that, and Rangers took it to them. They t- and they had a perfect game plan. I thought that Nkunku's goal was a, like not lucky, but kind of came out of nowhere. I thought that Leipzig just did absolutely nothing in this match. Did not look like the team that was on good form. And they've hit a real stumbling block, both in the league and now getting knocked out of the Europa League. So with the Pokal coming up and a couple of really important games to see if they're going to be playing Champions League next year, they're, they're crumbling at the wrong time, Manuel. 
We don't have enough, a lot of time to talk about them, but um, I did break all of that down with Stefan Bianchowski on gegenpressing. So if you want to, we did a full 30 minute special on the two Europa League semifinals. Um, uh, Josh, so like, or anyone who was interested in that, because um, it was very German centric, right? But that final now is going to be super interesting, I think. With the with the the culture of the two fan groups, um, and it's two different countries, and Frank, it will mean a lot for them. And guys, you have to remember, winning the Europa League gives you a spot in the Champions League. And the 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 math too, when you reach the semifinal of the Europa League, it earns you about the same amount of money than reaching the quarterfinal of the Champions League. This is this is this is important for both these teams. It can make a small team. Or like a team that's on the verge of becoming a bigger club, and Rangers and Frankfurt are both in that category. Rangers are still recovering from what they from what happened to them before 2012. It can really make a huge difference. And Filippo, success breeds success, doesn't it? Yeah, and I believe this would be the first international trophy for both teams. No, Frankfurt won the UEFA Cup in 1980. 1980, but Rangers it would be their first one, right? Um, they have won. I thought they the, won in 2008. Did they not? Am I, am no, I wrong? they lost um, to Sydney, St. Petersburg. No, no. Uh, so Rangers okay. has all the Scottish titles possible, right? 55 Scottish championships, yeah. 33 Scottish cups. Didn't they win they, the Cup Winners' Cup? Uh, they won one Cup Winners in 72. Yeah. So there I guess go. in modern era, it would be the first for both sides in modern era. So it's a pretty big deal. And, and the way they made it here, right? The teams they defeated, like Eintracht taking over Barcelona. And I thought Leipzig was going to win this tournament because they look like a Champions League team in the Europa League. Yeah. But look at Rangers. They're through. Uh, honestly, this final is as exciting as uh, the Champions League final. Not, not the same level of play. Obviously, we're going to get all these world-class players in the Champions League. But it's going to be a great game to watch. Great story. It's a great story for both those teams. And um, people always say, oh, there's no storylines in German football. Give me a break. Look at Frankfurt. People make fun of the Scottish League all the time. Give me a break. Look at this. This is a great story. It's a wonderful story. Take your Premier League classes off and look look a little bit across the horizon. You'll see fantastic football stories everywhere in the world. And this is a great example for it. And just Um, uh, one little point too with the Europa League, which is just kind of interesting for our podcast, is that an American and a Canadian will be featuring for... uh Rangers, Scott Arfield, is Scott and James still Tan. a Canadian? If you want to put just him, a Canadian by convenience, conven- convenience, conveniently a Canadian. But regardless, I mean, if he wins, he will technically be, I believe, the first Canadian to win the Europa League. But uh, James Sands obviously got that move as well. So you know, it's however you want to look at it. There's the little little interesting side note there. It's true, I guess. Um, I tweeted this out to maybe bring the Conference League in here as well, quick to two American teams, own teams in. The finals, Filippo, Roma, American-owned, Liverpool, American-owned. Um, that's interesting. American money doing wonders abroad. When is it going to happen at home? Uh, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, uh, MLS clubs, in terms of spending, a lot of them do spend money, right? Um, and I mean, they, they pay it right. Yeah, it's about spending it right. They also spend pay $300 million to get an MLS franchise, make the stadium. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping after 2026, MLS loosens up the salary cap and, and we see big spending. And once we see big spending, that's when we can see big growth, right? Apparently the new TV deal is not going to be as good as expected and it's going to go till 2026. Yeah. By the time we hit 2026, I think the entire expansion of MLS will be finalized, right? All the clubs that are going to be added will be added. Most clubs will have their own stadiums by then. And soccer in the U.S. will get a big bump, right, from 2022 to 2026. Then maybe the next TV deal will be bigger, and and then we'll see the big spending. But I guess American owners, for now, just prefer to spend it abroad. Yeah. The reason I'm saying this is the team that... We, you know where I'm getting with this, right, Filippo? The CONCACAF Champions League final. Seattle's done yes. it. And it's fitting that it is Seattle, I think. Because here's a team. Brian Schmetzer, he's now in the Olymp of head coaches around the world. You know, a little... His father was a coach 
in Seattle. There's this the, the Schmetzer Sporting Goods Company is actually close to where my friends live in Seattle, and I always laugh when we drive past it. Um, and then there's the fact that he played for the old Seattle. He even coached the old team when they were not in MLS yet, right? Seattle's history goes way back, and they just build differently. They they do spend, but they spend right. I always. And I'm really curious what you think here. I feel, always feel Seattle's new era began when they signed Nicolas Lodero and then added, added Raul Ruiz Diaz. And these are players that are not the big world stars in the grand scheme of things. They're not weren't your typical TPs, but they were two players that A, worked in this league and B, made you truly better. Also, they weren't retiring, right? Lodero yeah. um, was very good for Botafogo. Then I think he even went to Corinthians, I believe, and mm-hmm. then Boca, and then he ended up in MLS, but he wasn't retiring, right? Yeah. Uh, and he's a great player, especially for MLS. Raul Ruiz Diaz, too, uh, from Peru. I mean, it's the most well-ran franchise. And then they were able to sign Ruznak on the offseason this year, which was yeah. a fantastic signing to add already to all the players they've already had. Jordan Morris return, even though he's not looking as good. The defense is solid. I just wish they did a better job with the academy, even though it looks like it's looking Obed better. Obed Vargas is one to watch. Yes, Obed Vargas is one to watch. But I, I, like as good as they've been as a franchise, probably the best franchise in MLS, most well-ran franchise for sure. 100%. Uh, I think they can do a great job with their academy just because of how competent their management is if they really focus on it it'll probably work out. And I hope they do that because MLS does need that a lot. Like it's fine that they're having success here and they're going to go to the club world cup and that'll be great for MLS, but we need to keep the talent production here. Right. We got the best player we got out of MLS was Alfonso Davies. And I would love to see MLS get at least one or two players at that level every decade, but it doesn't seem like we're there. Right. Um, so it's something that, that I, I hope more MLS academies do. And I think Seattle Sounders, as good as they are, that's somewhere that they've lacked. But as a franchise, probably the most well-ran one in terms of and success. Sounders have that talent pool in the city where they are. Football is, or soccer, is huge in this Cascadia, right? Um, it's the most played sport in this region, Filippo, by far. Um, not just by Latin American immigrants, but also by people who have already been here for generations. Also, Manuel, Obed Obed Vargas that you mentioned, it's crazy that a kid from Alaska, right? Who would have thought? (laughs) Yeah, but it's the Cascadia. Like, you you don't understand. Like, I live on Vancouver Island, and soccer is by far the biggest participation sport ahead of anything. And BC is, I mean, is a great example. Like, uh, the entire Canadian national team right now comes from Ontario, even though Ontario, in Ontario, it's still a bit of a marginalized sport. Um, in BC, it's the biggest sport, and because I guess it's run by the Whitecaps, and then you know you just look at across the border what Seattle is doing, and they both came into the league at the same time. It shows you what you can do if you do it right. I think Seattle is a great mirror for a lot of teams in this league. Yes, because if you do uh, it right, this is what you get. Manuel, there's one thing we do need to talk about briefly to clarify to everyone, because I saw many Americans uh, and even Canadians, MLS fans in general. Uh, talking about how Seattle was going to play in the Cup, Club World Cup with the new format of 24 clubs. That is not true. The next for, the next Club World Cup will be the same format as the past few, right? With seven teams. One is the host nation, yeah. the winner of each um, confederation, uh, the, 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 pre, the pre-semifinal, which is not really a quarterfinal. It's like an elimination round, semifinal and final where the South American and the European clubs are already in the semifinals. So the next edition will not be the 24-club edition. The 24-club edition, which has been postponed many times, is likely to happen in 2024. Yeah, when we go back to our normal schedule. Yes. Because like you have to remember, we have a World Cup in November, December. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> Josh, um, Toronto came close a couple of times. Um, they were the only other MLS team that really took this competition seriously. And they're probably the only team that's remotely close to this Seattle's team. Um, there is a sense, though, when you look at Seattle, if you are not an MLS team now, this is the model, isn't it? Yes, they're, 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 the, they're the model organization. They're the model franchise. 
100%. Uh, that Toronto team was very, very good. You, I think you could probably argue it might, that team might that team might have been better than this team, but they mm. slipped up in the last moment. They lost in, in a shootout, but it, it was tough. They were as close as you could get, and it almost looked for a little bit there that you didn't know when the next one was going to come. And then to do it in, in fashion, the way the Sounders did, the way that Zidane, they've never missed the playoffs. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I've, I think I heard a stat. They've never missed the playoffs. They've yeah. obviously won the MLS Cup. They've now won the CONCACAF Champions League. They have an gr- excellent fan base. It's just, there's so much to love about them. And I, and we've said it on, on the podcast a bunch of times. They're deserving winners. And I was really excited to see them get it over the line. I think it was big for, for Major League Soccer, big for Seattle. And I'm really excited to see them in the Club World Cup. And, and I know it's a tournament that doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things but it, it does to the the south american club it does to the north american club it's a it's a cool tournament in and if you're not i guess the the european winners the champions league winners because you're expected to win but i'm gonna be very curious to see them match up and maybe have to take on one of liverpool or madrid but yeah i mean i, I was i was i was smiling all through that game because they just did it with style yeah i, I think there's so much positive to come out of this um my final thought on this too is um, Vancouver Whitecaps take a look across the border this is what you could have become and um, maybe have some ambition and show some some love to this team because Vancouver and Seattle are very much the same cities uh, in a lot of regards and have very much the same football roots um, and the same history those two teams are old for North American standards right go back to the NESL um, and I think the Timbers as well there's a lot of upheaval there too they will probably also look at Seattle and say, hmm, this, could, this is what we could be. And um, I do also think there's what's really interesting, and I, I want to include Toronto in this, because Toronto and Seattle are the two most successful teams and best-run teams in this league. It is fascinating that they're both multi-sport organizations and that, that they are part, you know, Toronto, of course, is part of Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment, and the Seattle Sounders are owned by the same group that owns the Seahawks as well. And there's a lot of crossover from that. We see that in German sports quite a bit where teams have multiple sports uh, in South America as well, right, Filippo? Most teams have multiple multiple sports. Um, and it does seem to work and give you a lot of success. And maybe that is something that we need to discuss on another show, how multiple sport, multiple sport organizations seem to do just a little bit better. Um, but yes, that's a discussion for another day. And um, yeah, we're back. Please leave us a review. Actually, do leave us a review. Apparently, threads work. Leave us a review. We need them. They work. They help us. Uh, Give us five stars. Maybe that'd be nice too. Until next time. Cheers and bye-bye.